0: Tonight we're going to look at an aspect of the law and grace uh, debate that is sometimes overlooked, and that is the time of the transition between law and grace. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so what we're going to do is take a little time to have a contrast between what was represented by the law and what was represented by grace. In fact, one of the most amazing scriptures, or at least there's so many amazing scriptures, but this one here, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, at first, that may seem strange because in the Old Testament, it would seem that the law was given by God on Mount Sinai, but well, let's look at, at this in a little bit more detail. The steward of the law was Moses, and of course, the, the steward of grace was Jesus Christ. And the governing principles of the law and the governing principles of grace are what we're going to look at. Under the law, it depended upon your works. Under grace, it, depending, it depends upon Christ's work. Um, The people to who it was really eligible under the law was Israel. But under Christ, it's the church. It's everyone who wants to believe and to follow the teachings. It was a baptism, as pointed out, unto Moses when they crossed the Red Sea. And we are baptizing the church into Christ. The ministry characteristic is that the law... Paul says brought death and condemnation, but under Christ, in Romans 8, he says we, the law of the Spirit of God hath made us free from the law of death. So under the, under the administration of grace, there's a spirit of redemption and of righteousness. The blessings that came with the law were conditional and were earthly, but the blessings that come uh, from Christ are heavenly And unconditional to the extent that we believe and have faith and follow his teachings. And then there were earthly difficulties because there were curses for disobedience. And the punishments were severe. Under Christ, under grace, we we grow and the punishments are really just our choices. If we disobey, then we reap what we sow. So let's really dive into this and look in Luke chapter 16, 16 what the scripture says in the New Testaments about when this transition started to happen. In Luke sixteen sixteen, it says, the law and the prophets were until John. What does that mean? Well, it really means that Jesus then was the transitional character between the law and the revelation of God's grace. It says, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Matthew eleven nine when Jesus was speaking about, John said, But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, that more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of woman there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now here's another amazing verse. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's an amazing verse. So what is the difference between he that's in the kingdom of heaven and John the Baptist? People um, misunderstand so much the point of the baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit because here Jesus is actually putting John in a different class from those who are in the church. He said that he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you understand he was implying that John was not in the kingdom of heaven? Now let me explain what that means. When I say in the kingdom of heaven, I mean in the rapture. Because John was under the Old Testament. John was not baptized in Jesus' name. John was not there on the day of Pentecost to receive the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the point Jesus was making is that this makes a difference and that this is important. He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We'll come back to that point in in part two. But let's look at the law's message. In Matthew 3, 1, it reads this, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent he, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what people miss is that Jesus' message was exactly the same. Up until the resurrection, his message was no different from John, who was preaching under the law. Let's look at that. Matthew 4.17 From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can see that the two messages do not differ at all. They do not differ. And one of the the misunderstandings that a lot of preachers do is they quote scripture that Jesus said or words that Jesus said during his earthly ministry and apply it to the church when actually it is really applicable just to Israel. Let's look at that because Jesus himself told us that in Matthew 15:22 we have the story of the woman who was not a Jew who came to get her daughter healed, and it's there we learn where Jesus explicitly says what his message, his earthly message was, and to whom it was. Matthew fifteen twenty two And behold a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this may come as a surprise to many people, but Jesus' earthly ministry was to the Jews. He was still operating under the law because although he was the transitional figure between the law and grace, he still had not paid the penalty for sin. And he tells us here that because of that, he was only sent during his earthly ministry to the Jews. Now, there were several times where he dealt with Gentiles, where he healed the the, the centurion's servant, and in this case, he healed this Canaanite woman's daughter. But he made it plain that his main ministry and why he was sent at this time was first to the Jews. He had to fulfill the prophecies that had him coming to the Jews. In Matthew 5.17, this is what he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily, verily, I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot, or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. In other words, what he was saying is that he was the fulfillment of the law. That's why it could now end, because he had come to be the very fulfillment in body of what the law meant. Because up to that point, no one had really been able to keep the law. And that's why Jesus had to come to fulfill it, so that the curse of the law would be lifted off of us, when he became the sin offering. So the fulfillment of the law was the promise that there would be a Messiah. All the way back from Deuteronomy, Moses began to tell Israel that there would come a prophet, someone who was going to be the fulfillment of all the promises that God hath made going all the way back to Abraham. In Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen, "...I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren." like unto thee and i will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that i shall command him in fact when they uh, saw the pharisees john the baptist preaching that was one of the questions they asked him are you the prophet matthew 10:5 these 12 sent these 12 jesus sent forth and commanded them saying go not in the way of the gentiles you see he was there first to bring the gospel Or the good news of repentance to the Jews. Because he came to fulfill the promises to Abraham and all of the prophets. Go not in the way of the Gentiles. And into any city of the Samaritans. He commanded expressly and explicitly his disciples not to go but to the Jews. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as he go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message was exactly the same. As John the Baptist. And when we look at the words of Jesus in the four Gospels, he is really speaking to Israel, not the church. The church did not really begin until the day of Pentecost. So many times, some of the sayings that Jesus is saying is really applicable only in terms of the law and understanding it. Now, that wasn't wrong because he had not yet died. So Jesus' message was primarily to Israel and he himself was that fulfillment of the law. Here's what he said in Matthew 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and of the Pharisees. He shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? They fasted twice a week. They gave tithes. They did all these things. Well, we can't do it through flesh. It's only through Jesus Christ. Again, in Matthew ten five, he said, Go not into the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. But we see that when Christ died, the message uh, um, changed. The directions to his disciples changed because now there had been a change in the testament, in the, in the law. Let's look at that. That's what I read right at the beginning, Romans ten four, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul here is describing how Moses would have described it. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the problem is, no one could really keep the law fully. Because even just thinking about something Jesus said was breaking of the law. If you just looked at a woman, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought, well, they kept it outwardly, they were so pure and holy. But Jesus pointed out even thinking thoughts that were not, correct, was breaking the law. And so we see that the scripture was trying to point us to Jesus, that he was going to be the, the figure. It says the law and the prophets were until John. So Jesus then was the, the the transitional figure that went between the law and grace. That was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And that was, of course before the cross he operated under the law as to fulfill it and to fulfill all of the prophecies that concerned him that were given under the law and so the message was the perfect fulfillment of the law mark 12:28 and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well asked him which is the first commandment of all and jesus answered The first commandment of all is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then he goes on to sum up the law in this verse. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And in fact, it is a summary of the law. Now if you think about it, we we teach people to do that. But the truth is, nobody could do that. What it is explicitly saying is that you have to love God 100%, 100% of the time, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. The only person who kept that was Jesus Christ. That's why the law failed. The apostle Paul said it was weak through the flesh. If you could have kept this verse, that is Matthew 1230, perfectly, then the law would have had some benefit for you. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. If you could do this perfectly, 365 days a year, seven days a week, all the days of the month, 24-7, be 100% loving God in your heart, and with your soul, that is your spirit, and with your thoughts, and with all your strength, then you would have fulfilled the law. The only person who did that was Jesus. Now the reason why he said this was to show how it was impossible for flesh, sinful flesh, to fulfill it. And that's why he came. Jesus in John uh, 3.29, we have the story, and we'll just read it. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly. This was really speaking about John the Baptist because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was greater. He said something greater was coming. He knew that he was Uh, going to be the last prophet, he knew that Jesus was going to be the fulfillment. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. But when Jesus died, we see a complete new transition in what he told his disciples. Remember, he told them to not go to any Samaritans, to only go to the household of Israel. But after the cross, we have God's fulfillment now because Jesus had broken down, as as Paul later says, the middle wall of partition, that curtain that separated in the temple and tore in two. Ephesians 2.8, that's why Paul could now write, for by grace are we saved, because we are not in this flesh able to do 100% all the time. But it's through God's unmerited favor, through his grace and through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of, of God. You can't buy a gift. It's it's free. You just have to accept it. Second Timothy 1 9 says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. I'm so glad God is not measuring me according to my works or my perfection. What he's looking for, though, is faith in him and trust in him, because that is what is accorded us righteousness, just as it was for Abraham but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What does it mean, given us in Christ Jesus before the world began? What it means is that God knew the possibility of man's sin. He didn't plan it, but he knew the possibility that given free choice, there was a possibility that man would sin. And so God had a plan and a purpose to come and rescue us, even from the beginning and and the foundation of the world, it says in Revelation. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That means God had a plan of salvation in the contingency that man would exercise his free choice to freely sin. And that shows God's mercy and his grace because he could have just destroyed us and started again. So let's try and illustrate that, the the transition between the law and grace. I'm going to show that as a circle. For under the law, it was for the Jews only. It was rigid. There were all these ordinances. There were these ceremonies. There were these things you had to remember. And it separated man from God. That means only certain people could actually even approach the holiest of holies. On the Day of Atonement, only the high priest. It required works. It required the ceremonies. It required the rituals and the observance of special days. You had to keep the Sabbath. You had to remember to do all of the ceremonial uh, washings and all of that stuff. But then Christ came and he fulfilled the requirements of the law. As I said, he was the only one who was 24-7 able to fulfill loving God 100%. Loving the spirit 100%. And he became, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, our high priest. And then reconciled man to God. To those who believe. To those who are willing to accept. Amen. Those who will receive him. To many as received him. To them gave he power to become. Amen. And because of that now, we can live under God's grace. Which is for the church. It's undeserved, it's unearned, and it's not based on works. That means it wasn't because I was so good that God saved me. It had nothing to do with my goodness. All it took was repentance and belief, not because I could have achieved anything. It's based upon my belief and my trust and my faith in God. And it freed us from all these ceremonies, rituals, and special days. There are still some denominations that want to observe that, but that's because they're putting themselves back under the law, which Paul said, he calls it in another scripture, a ministration of death. Because the only outcome for man under the law was death. So now, after Jesus rose, we see this big change. Let's look at it in Matthew 28:18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power... "...is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach now all nations." Remember now, before this change in the law, before the end of the the law, the Levitical priesthood, he had told his disciples, "...only go to the Jewish villages. Don't go to any Samaritan villages." But here now, we see a complete change. "...go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father." And of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe, that means to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we see that there had been a change in, in the priesthood and this is what now necessitated a change in what the message was that opened it up to everyone. Hebrews 7.11, the writer here is explaining why this was necessary. He says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed... There is made of necessity a change also of the law. Aren't you grateful for that? You don't have to bring your turtle dove. You don't have to bring your goat. You don't have to bring any physical sacrifice. What God is looking for is a broken and a contrite heart. That's what he will not despise. The only thing we have to bring to God today is true repentance in our hearts. For he of whom these things were spoken pertaineth to another tribe. That means Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. The tribe of Judah were not the priests. They did not come and serve at the altar. And that's why there had to be a change of priesthood. For it is evident, verse 14, that our Lord sprang out of the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Moses didn't, but Jacob did. He said, that the lawgiver would come out of, when he was giving the blessing uh, to to Judah before he departed, he he pronounced in Genesis, I think, 49, that until Shiloh comes, which is a prophetic name, that this would be the tribe from which the ruler would come. And it is yet more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Now the difference in this priesthood is modeled after Melchizedek, who met Abraham after he came back from the battle with the kings. Now, why this was different and why this priesthood was different was Melchizedek, the Bible says, was both a king and a priest. Under the Levitical priesthood, the two roles were separated. You had the priest and you had the king, and they operated separately. Jesus Christ, though, was after the priesthood of Melchizedek, That that is, he was both king and priest. In fact, the very thing that we are promised is going to be our future ministry, that he hath made us kings and priests. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made... Not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. The priesthood came through the law of Moses when it was set up. But the new priesthood, not after the law of a carnal or fleshly commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Because when Jesus arose, he arose to not ever die again. This is the setting then that Paul was trying to reveal to the New Testament believers that they were under grace and not under the law. That it was no longer um, physical circumcision that God was looking for, but circumcision of the heart, circumcision of the innermost desires. And so when uh, some people came from Jerusalem and came to the church at Galatia and started to tell them all these things, that they had to do, Paul then wrote his famous epistle to the Galatians. And I've put it in in a modern translation. It says, if you start living by that system, you will need to perfectly keep all the laws all of the time. That was the point I was making when Jesus put the summation of the law in saying loving God with all your strength, all your heart, all your mind, all your thoughts, 100%. This will cut you off from Christ because now you're performing your own works. And when you're performing your own works, you are saying what Christ did is useless. You who seek righteousness through keeping the law have missed out on God's grace. That's the modern translation. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love. He did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Again, Paul is trying to, to bring together the point that, listen, the revelation is Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy man's works because we can't do it. He came to to present himself the sacrifice the perfect fulfillment of the law so that we get the free gift amen that does not mean that when we come to Christ we are not to work but it's not our works that provide salvation the law then was just a shadow to lead us and an image of what god was going to do hebrews 10:1 makes that plain for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereof perfect. For then they would not have ceased. Paul is making the point, if the law was perfect, then it would not have had to cease. The one sacrifice that they had to keep repeating was because it wasn't good enough. Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again, made of sins every year. And then here's the famous verse, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. While, while they were innocent animals, their blood was not given freely. It could not have the same power as the blood of Christ, who the Bible said gave himself a sacrifice sins. Amen. So the law was but a shadow. Colossians 2.16 says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. There were many denominations who uh, used to stay away from certain foods um, out of a legalism, you have to say. Paul here in Colossians expressly says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or or in respect of a holy day. In other words, the Sabbath. Or of a new moon, which again is a Sabbath. And then he says it explicitly. Or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. He's saying all of these ceremonies were just the shadow, but the fulfillment is Jesus Christ. And so the law then was just to lead us and to point us to Christ. We are so blessed to be living in a time... Where we have God's grace, we're living in the age of grace, where God's mercy and day of atonement is still available for salvation. And I'm so blessed that I have chosen to believe and to trust in the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you who are listening, that's all you have to do. It's by faith are we saved and not of works. Grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. God has been so gracious to us and so merciful to us. And as we close this this lesson tonight, which is part one, I'm going to be going much deeper into the law and some of the the misconceptions about it uh, starting next week. So God bless you. We're going to pray and hope that these words will find good soil and that you'll be able to meditate on this, that God's grace is now abundant. We're in the age of grace and all we have to do is to bring a sacrifice of a broken and a contrite heart. The Bible says he would in no way despise. So if you could bow your hearts with me, Father, we thank you tonight for your mercy and most of all your grace. Lord, that has been shed abroad, O God. Help us, I pray, to grasp hold of it. Lord, that we will be able, hallelujah, to serve you with faith believing. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And even when we're going through, when we are struggling, Lord, that you are still there, that your grace still saves. Hallelujah. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that has put us into a, a, a new class, into your church, into your bride. We thank you for all that you're doing. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.